And this is View the Valley's podcast, episode 17, with TJ Hoover and Chris Smith. TJ, how are you doing today? You know, I'm doing pretty well. Had uh, was, had a little bit of a sl- slump in the energy, and on my way over here, heard, heard the old classic uh, American Pie by Don McLean, and that that's one of those songs that always I always enjoy, and the, the history that it, it connects to, and stuff like that. So it's a pretty good time to listen to that. That does sound like it's right up your alley. I mean, you probably you probably don't even appreciate the the historic connections to that. Do you know what the, what the American Pie was? No comment. It was uh, not the movie, way before the movie, but... Uh, See, I knew the movie. Yeah, I'm sure you did. And uh, But the American Pie was the plane that Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, and the Big Bopper were on when they were killed. Oh, okay. So, and I mean, that's, that's music way before our time, even for me, an old man. But, you know, the, I mean, all three fantastic artists, and just that's the day the music died. So okay. and there's, there's the line in there that drove the Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry. I think the levee was an NYU bar back in the day. So I don't know why I don't know why you call yourself old man though. I mean, you know, 30, 35. I mean, <laughs> yeah. It's- yeah, nine years ago, one of my coworkers I was talking to her the other day, and she's like, "Yeah, I was talking to my mom. I'm like, mom, you're forty five years old." And it's like, "Oh crap!" <laughs> one of my coworkers, <laughs> the college degree, mom's forty five. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna go. Take my boomer butt out of here. <laughs> oh, gosh. How about you? How are you doing? Not bad. Uh, had a good Labor Day weekend. Uh, it was really nice just to relax. I was kind of hoping to get out of the area for the weekend, but stayed around uh, St. Louis and went to the casino Friday night. Other than mentioning I went there, we will not talk about it any further. <laughs> uh, w- went golfing Saturday and golfed pretty well went out to forest park and uh did well uh played me and a buddy played 18 holes in about three hours and 45 minutes so played rather quickly it was busy uh chipped in from 100 yards out wow uh, and didn't know it till i got up there because it was a hill and i was ecstatic it would have been nice if my drive had gone further than 20 feet yeah or it probably been an eagle <laughs> but you know i take what i can get and then the next hole i was putting for eagle and uh i bogeyed yeah so e- golf is such an evil mistress like you can play 18 holes but if like 17 or 18 are really good holes for you like well i just I'm, i've got it you know i played a little bit more i yeah I put yep. some money into this oh yeah you get a decent set of clubs get something that aren't the xl golf balls and maybe maybe i can do something <laughs> the next time you play how'd you do like i lost 78 balls <laughs> i only got to the fourth hole like <laughs> and, and that's why i'm using those those top flights and yeah. the noodles <laughs> yeah yeah Yep, Jeez. it's uh, it, it's just, and then all of a sudden you just have one. Even if you part, you have three great shots. Like, well, all right, you know, look at this. We're on to something. Yeah. The next hole comes up, and you put an X through it. And didn't even finish yeah. the hole. You four putt it. Take a snowman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but with that, uh, we'll get into it. Uh, Want to mention or give a shout out to John Morant, former Murray State guard, was named Rookie of the Year in the NBA for the Memphis Grizzlies. It looked like there was one person that did not vote for him for uh, Rookie of the Year. Uh, but it looked like everybody else got it right. I mean, he had an impressive rookie season. Yeah, I, I think that guy is the one who reminds the teacher they didn't collect the homework. <laughs> uh, you, you know you didn't collect the homework. Oh, 
Shh, dude, shut up, man. I didn't do it either. I forgot about the homework too. So. <laughs> and I say that as a teacher. I mean, you see that kid say it, you oh. see the other kids like, what are you doing? <laughs> oh, I, yeah, I've seen that happen before. Just makes you just want to walk right out of the room. It's like, man, I thought I was getting away with this. We're 30 minutes into class. And the one person that does do their homework, are you not going to collect this? Yeah. Well, I guess I'm taking a zero. Yeah. But the time you do it, you think you do a good job. That guy doesn't say anything. Nope. So then, so then going, he probably didn't do it. Yeah. But then you're going like, hey, aren't we going to collect that? Because you knew you had it <laughs> <Yep>. done. <laughs> oh. So, yeah, congratulations to John Morant. I mean, that's that's huge. And, you know, I think going into the season, we all assumed it would be Zion Williamson. But, uh, you know, limited playing time did sure. him in. And I think, you know, John was the most magical fresh or freshman, the most magical rookie that they had this year, you know. so Yeah, he was dynamic all all over the court. So, yeah, it was a, a great honor for him. So uh, I came across this article today on outkick.com. It came, came out about an hour ago, so we're obviously – it's uh, September 8th when we're recording, but they're starting to talk about uh, a detailed pitch for 16 teams to play at the Mohegan Sun Casino in Connecticut, and looks like the Naismith Hall of Fame is kind of putting this together. And some of those preseason tournaments, the ones that are kind of being mentioned – uh, the Empire Classic, the Gotham Classic, which Jacksonville State's in, uh, the Legends Classic, Hall of Fame tip-off, and the Hall of Fame Invitational. And again, uh, from at a quick glance here, I think only Jacksonville State is the uh, only OVC or MVC school. But you're starting to see more of these come out, and you know, kind of wonder what how realistic this is. You know, especially if schools you think. <clears throat> Even if you're on the traditional schedule first, you know, after about 10 days into December, they're out for the semester. Sure. And you're still that proposed date of November 25th of starting the season. Some schools are not coming back after Christmas. So I, I wonder what the reality is. I wonder what the financial feasibility is. You know, who's going who's gonna to take on that, that cost and what are the measures going to be? Well, not only that, I mean, as you see, like the schools that are broken down for each classic or tournament, whatever you want to call it, um, you wonder if that means the university itself for each one is like and have already been involved in like trying to figure some things out logistically and whichever or whatever the case may be. So this may be something we can ask uh, Coach Ray Harper for Jacksonville State because he's going to be on one of the shows here in the in the near future and we'll maybe get his take on it as they're in that, you know, Gotham Classic. Right. You know, and obviously you'd rather be playing at someplace like Madison Square Garden. Oh, sure. But uh, you know, the choice is play at Mohegan Sun or not not at all. I think you'll, you'll take the Mohegan Sun. So I wonder how you keep those kids away from the, the craps tables, though. I, well, for me, I don't even want to know how to play because yeah. you can lose quickly. Yeah, see, I'm no good at gambling. Sat down at a table in Tunica, lost $35 in about six minutes. I'm like, I could have done a lot of other stuff with that 35 bucks. Yeah, you probably haven't gambled since. No, not very much. <laughs> but the one thing that does stand out when you see these, uh, you know, these tournaments that are broken up here in the Outkick article, um, it's a good mixture of right. power fives and mid-majors. And that's what I really want to see because – you just hope, and I know we've talked about the bubble here uh, in previous episodes, uh, 
you know the Power Five is going to get the the upper hand here when it comes to maybe which arena it is it's in. Right. You know how nice the you know location maybe somewhere on a beach, um, and obviously the publicity. But you know you still want to see some mid majors sprinkled in there. Maybe it's not just a mid major bubble or a power five bubble, right. but it's it's good to see a mixture of them the two in the same tournament just because you're not sure how many of those you're going to have and it's right. going to be good for those mid-majors to get that publicity and see where they basically stand so when they play teams in their conference or you know get back to mid-major level teams they have a lot better understanding of what they need to do as a team and as a program to get better right and then even from the power five they don't want to be beating each other up you know, they don't want to play six, eight, ten games against schools sure. from the other Power Fives and have to go into their own conference schedule because, like the Big Ten, for example, is just brutal. Oh, it is. You know, so you go in there and now you go, you know, you fall four games below 500 in your conference play and you don't have any, you know, you're just, it's all downhill from there, it would feel like. Well, that's a good point. Yeah, if you play, you know, six, eight, ten games against just strictly Big Ten Power Five schools, if you're struggling – it really doesn't give you a chance to maybe insert a new play or work on a play that you need to get, you need to get better at. Right. Yeah, you can do it during those games, but typically a Power 5 uh, coach it wants to do that against a team that's maybe a step or two below them. Right. Because if you screw it up, chances are you're probably still going to end up scoring anyway Yeah, because of the defense may have a breakdown. Right. You know, and I always always laugh when you, you hear around high school tournaments at teams that that aren't very good and they lose that early. Well, they should be practicing anyway. Well, obviously that's not working for them. They need to get out there, play some games, see some different competition, guys that don't know exactly what's going to happen. And you know, again, I think it's it would be great to see some of those mid majors have the opportunity to play. I mean, and you get to watch. You know, I, I'm just basketball hungry. I feel like basketball starved right now, despite the NBA being on. College basketball is where it's at for me. And any college basketball is better than, you know, the zero we've had so far. Yeah. Uh, Sticking to college or the OVC in a way. um, Yeah, we mentioned John Morant was rookie of the year. Uh, Robert Covington, who went to Tennessee State. Uh, Houston Rockets still playing, um, representing the Ohio Valley right now. And he's, you know, he's in that starting lineup and he's been he's been a big factor in the Rockets uh, results here in the playoffs. He's been. Not only great on offense with his three-point shooting, but he's been a solid defensive player, as we've known he's done in his career. But he's continued it through this postseason in the bubble, and he's been coming up with more than a couple steals and blocks. Yeah, and then on the MVC side, Fred Van Vliet, who I still associate with the MVC because he spent most of his career there, has you know turned it into a pretty solid pro. He's still in, in with the Raptors. They didn't look great last night against the Celtics. But, uh, you know, I mean, it felt like every time I turned around, he was knocking down a shot, making a play. You heard his name time after time and, you know, doing our, doing those conferences proud. Yeah, so hopefully, uh, you know, at least on my end, Robert Covington will uh, be able to lead the Rockets to, uh, to an NBA uh, title. It'd be great to see him uh, represent the OVC and, and get it done. But with that... Uh, we have Marcus Belcher 
assistant coach at Illinois State, and he's had a few other stops throughout the Missouri Valley as right. well. So he'll be uh, joining the show. And we are joined by current Illinois State assistant coach Marcus Belcher. Coach Belcher, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, fellas. I uh, appreciate you having me on. So uh, thanks again for coming on. Uh, take us back. How did it all start for young Marcus Belcher? What were you interested in growing up, and how did that lead to a college basketball career? That's an interesting story. It's kind of one of those things that uh, you never know exactly what, what path you're going to go down, and, and certain twists and turns along the way kind of kind of forge your path. And uh, Started out, man, uh, from a small town in Missouri called Mexico, Missouri. And we've had some some pretty talented athletes come through there. We've had a, co- uh, a couple NFL guys, uh, kind of known right now as a home of Teron Liu. Uh, okay. He's kind of up for a couple NBA jobs right now, but he's he's a good friend of of, of the family and uh, kind of look up to him as a, as a big brother. Um, my older brother's name is actually Cookie Belcher, and he played alongside of Teron Liu at Nebraska. And so we we've had some 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 talent come through Mexico for for being such a small town. Uh, but, man, I grew up playing multiple sports. I played baseball, basketball, football, and just ended up going down the path with basketball probably because of those other two guys I just mentioned. And uh, it, was, it was kind of a rough start for me, you know, seeing my brother play in Nebraska. I always had that dream of wanting to go Division One, And uh, things really weren't going in that direction. Uh, I really wanted it, but it wasn't happening for me, so I decided to go junior college and uh, went to Moberly Junior College. And uh, we had some pretty it's, – it's a, it's a legendary program. Had some really good good talent come through there. Um, and, and the funny thing about Moberly was I was kind of recruited as a backup. That's just – I wasn't very good, to be honest with you. I was just a solid point guard and was recruited as a backup and uh, ended up starting my two years at Moberly. And then so after two years there, Southern Illinois was actually looking for a backup point guard. And, and, and my head coach, Kenny Seifert, told Bruce Weber and Matt Painter the kind of story of me coming in as a backup and ended up starting. He said, this guy's pretty tough. He's coachable and, and does a lot of the little things. And uh, I ended up getting a scholarship to Southern Illinois and uh, was initially recruited as a backup. And I uh, ended up, you know, things took a couple different turns. And I ended up starting and uh, was a starting point guard on the Sweet 16, Sweet 16 team before it was all said and done. So it was a, it was a cool little journey. Um uh, Something that, you know, kind of a ride that I'll never forget, but it's uh, it's really taught me a lot along the way also. So your senior year at SIU, the team finally breaks through, setting a school record for wins with 28 and reaching the Sweet 16, which wasn't a surprise to the team because it was a team goal. What was different about that team? Well, I think we had a, a, just a good mixture of, of new guys. Uh, we had we had a kid sitting out by the name of Roland Roberts who transferred from Virginia Tech. And he was just a beast inside. Uh, a couple other guys getting a little bit older. Uh, Kent Williams, who's a Hall of Famer. Jermaine Deerman, who's a Hall of Famer. And then we had a couple young freshmen. Uh, kid from Belleville, Stetson Harrison, uh, still one of my good friends to this day. And then another freshman from St. Louis, uh, Darren Brooks, who – uh, Darren, Darren actually redshirted his freshman year, and then played. Um, and then you know he he was he was kind of our sixth man that that year. We went to the Sweet Sixteen. He had a lot of big games for us, and he he come in and, and really make a splash. Uh, he come off the bench, but you know he ended up being two time Player of the Year in, in the conference by the time it was all said and done. So so we had a really good mixture of some some old veterans uh, mixed in with some some good good freshmen. So. 
Take us through the NCAA tournament. Looking back, I don't know if people realize that the three games you played, all three of those coaches, Bobby Knight, Jim Herrick, and Jim Calhoun, had already won national titles. So it's not like you were going against you know dual directional tech during those games. Uh, what what was that experience like? Uh, it was unbelievable, uh, especially going in as the as the underdog, and we started getting that little uh, Cinderella feel as as it went on and. I can remember to this day that the big storyline going into the NCAA tournament was what is a Saluki? <laughs> you know, so <laughs> right. nobody knew what we were. That's always the question, so isn't to, it? Yeah, so you had to had to explain all that, and then um, just obviously it was it was so exciting. We actually played up in Chicago at the United Center, and uh, the first round, and we came up against uh, Texas Tech to begin with, and I mean they had some they had some talent there. Andre Emmis, the guy who really sticks out, who's uh, Played in the NBA, unfortunately, uh, lost his life a little bit early. Um, but just playing those those Bobby Knight teams, man, you know it's old school motion, and they set screens and execute and are, are very very disciplined. So that was the biggest thing for us was kind of playing mistake free basketball. Uh, and we we came out uh, playing really well. Our, our two bigs really kind of led us throughout throughout the NCAA tournament that year. Uh, Roland Roberts and Jermaine Diem, I mean, those guys. You know they went up against those power five bigs and, and didn't back down one bit. Uh, so so those guys led us against uh, Texas Tech, and then we turn around and we played uh, Georgia the second round, uh, the second game of the first round, and um, it was it was a neat deal that we had. You know, being up in Chicago, there's Illinois, a bunch of Illinois fans were up there, and uh, the place really kind of turned into a home court advantage for us. And uh, we, we, we got out to a rocky start. I think we got down 18 at one point against uh, uh, Georgia. And they had they had a couple NBA guys, uh, the uh, Jarvis twins, Jonah and Jarvis Hayes. Uh, the Hayes twins, not the Jarvis. But Jonah and Jarvis Hayes, a uh, few other guys that just were, were really good players. And obviously, you know, going up against the Coach Knights and, and Jim Herrick, man, those, those things are, are pretty special. But we got down 18 and came back and – uh, I can remember the flight back. I think Coach Weber and, and uh, Paint let us ride first class on a, on a flight back. And we landed. <laughs> we had about <laughs> we, we landed. We had about four thousand fans waiting for us when we got off the plane. So it was a uh, it was unbelievable feeling. So your playing days? Now, they didn't. Oh, I'm sorry. Go no, go ahead. I said they didn't do us any favors. Uh, that, that second round they put us in the Sweet Sixteen round. They put us in uh, in Syracuse, New York, going <laughs> up against uh, UConn. Yeah, and. Uh, that, that team was, had a Mecca uh, Okafor on it, didn't it? Yeah, they had a Mecca Okafor, Karam Butler, and then the guy that that really stuck out to me. I, I obviously didn't going in the game didn't quite know who he was, but after after playing him, uh, I'd, I'd been asked a couple times like, "Who's who's the best guy you think you played um, in in your college career?" And I was like, "Man, this this dude from UConn, his name is Ben Gord, man. You might not know about him <laughs> yet, but I think you will." And he was just a freshman that year, and he, I mean, he just showed signs of being great, and I think he ended up going, you know, top five uh, a year or two later. So it was uh, kind of a home game for UConn up there in Syracuse, you know. Uh, but it was it was unbelievable experience and, and stuff that, I, you know, I try to take with me to this day in my coaching and teaching young guys, all that good stuff. So you played against some, you know, pretty legendary players during your time as a player, uh, and once your playing career came to an end, uh, you got into coaching. Uh, what made you want to go the coaching route after you were done playing? Well, initially, I, I wanted to be a sports agent, and I wanted to kind of do that that 
business side of it. I was a business major at, at Southern Illinois, and, and I wanted to get more into the business side of things. And uh, just it was tr- it's so tricky to get into the sports agency uh, realm right out of right out of school, and kind of got to get attached to certain dudes and and go from there. But then I ended up working in a, for a finance company in St. Louis, and uh, just really wasn't a big fan of sitting behind the desk all day crunching numbers. And um, Southern uh, Southern Illinois Edwardsville was, was Division Two at the time, and Marty Simmons was the head coach. And I kept running into uh, an assistant coach named Mark O'Leary on the road. He was actually recruiting my little brother. My little brother played at uh, Plough Valley in St. Louis at Junior College. And I was living there, so I'd, I'd go to his games a couple times a week, and those guys would show up to, to recruit him. And I just kind of put a bug in uh, Coach O'Leary's ear, like, hey, I'm, I'm kind of looking to go that route if something opens up. I'd love to have an opportunity. And um they ended up having a spot, but didn't get my little brother. So that uh, <laughs> my little brother ended up going to SEMO for a year, uh, Southeast Missouri for a year. And then um, I actually I stopped what I was doing at the finance company and, and uh, went into coaching as a grad assistant. It was hard to, to make that, that budget cut, you know, initially. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> but, but I was still young enough to, to, to be able to handle it. And uh, looking back, it was probably the best. It was the hardest and, and best decision I'd made. Got, got a chance to learn from Coach Simmons, who I worked for for four years, uh, two years at SIU Edwardsville. And when he went to uh, University of Evansville, uh, I went with him there for two years as well. So had a chance to learn a lot from Coach Simmons. And then actually on the back end of our the, my second year at SIU Edwardsville, my little brother transferred from SEMO back to SIUE. So, so they ended up getting my brother in the end after all. So it was a, it was a good deal. So when you were at SIU Edwardsville, uh, you guys in 2006 go to the Division II Elite Eight. How did that compare, at, seeing that kind of success as a coach, compared to when you were playing at SIU Carbondale and reaching the Sweet 16? Well, you know what? It's actually very similar. We didn't have all the, the media hoopla and the national rankings and the televised games and all that. But, man, I tell you, just inside that locker room and, and being – when, when you're on a good team and there's just a different energy and a different passion for the game and attention to detail on those teams that win, win at that level. Um, I feel like we were pretty detailed when I was at Southern Illinois. And, uh, and I, I just really felt like th- that group of guys we had at SIUE really bought into what the coaches were preaching and, and they, they accepted their roles and the guys played for each other. It was, it's just one of those, things that you know if you've ever been a part of a good team you just kind of know the the buzz in the locker room you kind of go in with the confidence that you know if we if we do what we're taught and and compete and play as a team good things will happen and uh that was kind of the first time as a coach really seeing that transition so after siue you move on to eastern illinois in your opinion what is the difference in a player being recruited to play at the division two level compared to those recruited for the division one level? Well, at the time I, I'm not, I've, it's been so, I'm so far removed from the division two level right now. I don't know if the rules have actually changed, but uh, at the time I was division two, you know, academic situations, you know, you had to have a certain GPA to go division one. If you're a little bit lower, you could go division two junior college transfers. You know, the, the, the transfer hours were different requirements. And so, some of the best Division two teams always had pretty high-level Division one players on them at times, you know, because those guys didn't qualify or they're academically ineligible or transferred and had, 
you know, eligibility issues that they could go Division Two and get eligible right away and some of those things. So sure. teams like at the at the time I was Division Two, Southern Indiana, um, they are they were just always loaded with with a bunch of Division One transfers and that type of stuff. But uh, obviously, you know, the initial thing that sticks out though is is the size. You know, the, at the Division One level, there's, there's usually a few bigger guys, bigger guards. You know, you instead of you know sometimes Division Two, you'll have a five. Five six five nine point guard, you know, and you don't see that a ton at the Division One level. Um, and then the big guys inside, you know, you're dealing with six ten seven foot compared to six six bigs, you know, sometimes. Um, but it's 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 a good brand of basketball. I always tell a lot of people that the the GLVC when when we were in it, uh, I, I, I coached and coached against several Division One players. So Northern Iowa's head coach, Ben Jacobson, they started to call him uh, the Dean of the Valley since he's the longest tenured head coach. But looking at your resume, you've been at Evansville, SIU Carbondale, Indiana State, and now Illinois State. So is there any title that we can bestow upon you for 13 seasons coming up here in the MVC yourself? I don't know. I, you, you guys should figure that out. I, <laughs> I feel like I'm a veteran now, man. It's uh, It's been good because it's just such a – I'm probably a little bit biased. It's just such a good level of basketball. Um, the coaching is really good. The uh, the college towns that you get to travel to and, and the fan support that most of the schools in our league get. I mean, it's just it's that high major atmosphere without you know the big time football. In my opinion, right. <laughs> you know, we're not quite as spoiled as some of those guys, but I mean, you're still talking. You know, when when Illinois State is is good, you're gonna get eight nine thousand fans a game. You know, and that that place this place is rocking. And and Southern Illinois when we were playing down there, I mean, we had that thing sold out a couple games. It's just an unbelievable atmosphere to play in. So I for me, it's you know a high level basketball, mid major, high major, whatever. I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of really good mid majors that are better than high majors. You know, for sure. And so. When you look at the fan support and the tradition and, you know, obviously you want to go somewhere where you're going to win, you know, that's, that's kind of the, the biggest key to it. How would you compare the Ohio Valley conference and the Missouri Valley conference, whether it be the talent tradition coaches, or maybe the level of facilities within the two conferences? Yeah, I think that's the initial assessment would be probably, uh, the facilities and the, the arenas and, and, and the fan support is really what sticks out as, as, a, as a major difference between the Missouri Valley and the, the Ohio Valley. Now, uh, in the OVC, now you have a few other teams that are, that are in the league that weren't there necessarily when I was there. But the Belmonts, the Murray States, um, CMOs, all those, all those guys, the, the thing that is very even is I think both leagues have very good coaches. You know, and coaches that sometimes aren't at places too long because there are springboards to get better jobs. You know, sure, uh, which which hurts some programs because it's hard to financially keep keep coaches around that are getting offered a bunch of money to go elsewhere. Uh, but I think that I think the Missouri Valley is catching up to some of the the other leagues in, in that aspect, where uh, not every coach is looking to to leave right away because they are getting paid well. They got a good. They got a good situation. They have good fan support, good administration, and they can recruit uh, a caliber of player that that fits their style. Um, but in the, the I, I'd say the, the OVC as well. Um, 
I think it's maybe a little bit more guard heavy, uh, and you wouldn't see as many. Probably don't see as many the six ten seven foot guys in the OVC and right now in the Missouri Valley, which I don't think the Missouri Valley has always been like this. But right now we've had this last these last five to ten years. There's just been some unbelievable big guys come through the Missouri Valley, and, and I think a lot of times in the OVC you see the undersized the six 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 seven power forward center yeah. a little bit more than you do in the Missouri Valley. But other than that, it's 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 they're both comparable. You know, the, the Belmonts, you see the Murray States, what they've done with their point guards coming through there. And, um, Eastern Kentucky was really good when I played. Austin P was really good. Dave Luce, you know, he was he was a heck of a coach. Um, I think Donnie Tyndall was at uh, Moorhead State when I was there. Jeff Newbauer was at Eastern Kentucky. So you've seen some guys move on from from the OVC and go on to do do some good things at, at bigger programs. So with your time being in both conferences, I know you spent uh, some of your time at SIU. You weren't technically Division One at the time. So going back to your your days throughout the whole Missouri Valley and, you know, currently, um, is there a school in the Ohio Valley that, you know, you look forward to going to just because of the facility and maybe the atmosphere? In the Ohio Valley? Yeah. Yeah, I think hands down at the time it was it was Murray State. You knew you knew they had the tradition. They were kind of the they always had that 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 um, bullseye on their back. They always I don't they weren't great the year I was there, but you knew they were going to be good. You know every every game, and they had they always had the best fan support at the time. I think it's a probably a little bit more c- competitive now as far as you know with Belmont being in the league and some other programs uh, making a big jump. Uh, but it's Murray was the team to beat in, in the conference, and then obviously Austin P with Coach Lewis. You know he was kind of a legendary guy around there, so he he did some really good things. So, do you have aspirations to become a head coach, or do you like the roles you found as an assistant? We talked to Paul Lusk, who's at Creighton now. And he talks about how the the relationships just different when you're an assistant coach compared to being the head guy and and having a lot more obligations. Yeah, I definitely look forward to having the opportunity to, to, to run my own program. I think that's something that at this level, if you do it this long, you kind of get that itch to, you know, assistant, assistant coach, especially guys like me. I, I'm full of suggestions, you know. I can always throw a suggestion out there. And now to, to kind of put your stamp on it and, and to own some of the decisions, you know, I think that is a big jump. But, uh, you know, having worked for some really good coaches, uh, I, I kind of picked up bits and pieces from everybody. And uh, would love the opportunity at some point to uh, kind of put that all down and see see how everything turns out. Um, but I, you know, that's, that's again, like I said before, though, it's I've seen guys. I, I guess I've been in it long enough to see guys, you know, jump ahead quickly and and take tough jobs and end up not having success and being a, back at our level or below. And uh, so it's just I'm glad I've kind of taken my time with it and been. Um, been patient you know but i I definitely look forward to to having the opportunity so you talk about having that relationship with a head coach i'm not sure if you're familiar with it uh but before the pandemic hit there was the the video of uh, indiana archie miller and uh i think it was bruiser flint are on the sideline and they're having a very very animated conversation i don't know if you had a chance to see that but have you reached that level of uh trust with coach Mueller yet I don't know if we've quite gotten to that level where we have it out like that on national TV. At least we probably wouldn't recommend it. But uh, 
that's that's part of the reason why I you know I chose to leave Indiana State to come here is because uh, Coach Muller had a lot of trust in me, and uh, uh, he values my opinion. Uh, he he doesn't always <laughs> listen to my advice, which is great, but you know he he's always open um, to and and he's open for for tough conversations. I I really would have no problem. Uh, going in and talking to him about any situation, you know, whether it be on or off the court. And that's something that's, it's not always easy to find as an assistant coach, you know, as you work with different people, some, some people are stuck in their ways and not really open to suggestions. And, and and coach Muller is always open to it. And he's, he's one of those guys that prides himself on, on turning his assistant coaches into head coaches. And he knows most guys want to be head coaches one day. So he's trying to really prepare you for that next jump. I think he has three or four guys that are former head, former assistants that are head coaches right now at the Division One level. So uh, he, he's really good about that and trying to teach you how to grow, you know how to run your own program and all that good stuff. I think at that level you get enough turnover with your assistant coaches that maybe you can avoid kind of what I call groupthink, where you just get guys like, yeah, that's what I want to do, coach. I think you know head coaches I've been around that they want someone who's going to suggest something they didn't think of. That might, Like you said, he might not always use it. He might tell you no in the heat of the battle. It might not be a real sweet no, but you know, just kind of getting everybody's opinion and, and ultimately having as much information to make those decisions. Yeah, and that's, that's a, I think the biggest thing I've learned as, a, as an assistant coach is kind of knowing when and when not to suggest certain things. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, <laughs> there's, a, there's a method to the madness sometimes, and, and you just got to be careful because if you're just throwing out stuff all the time, it's like, did you really think it through? You know, is this just something, just because it worked for this team that you were on doesn't mean it's going to work for, for the next team. And so uh, that's been, a, that's been a, uh, a blessing for me to work for guys who do challenge you to think and, and really think things through and um, not just throw – throughout random random stats you know so i mean it's 2020 and it seems like every year the transfer portal uh, it just keeps growing growing and growing and i think right now um you know it kind of hurts maybe some of the those mid-major conferences you know the members of those conferences and we had uh we had coach paul lusk on last week or this week and then we had Antonius Cleveland on the week before, and so we had got both their takes on transfers, and we had asked Antonius, you know, with him being on the Mavericks right now, you know, if you knew you had NBA talent, you know, why why did you choose to stay at SEMO, maybe test the waters and try to get to a bigger school? And he said, well, uh-huh. you know, the grass isn't always greener. And Coach Paul Lusk kind of had the same uh, same take on it. So I was just kind of curious what your take is on transfers these days. Yeah, it's real tricky for our level. Cause, uh, you know, if, if you have a freshman come in and do too well, there's a good chance he's going to leave. And if he comes in and doesn't do enough, he's going to want to transfer. So there's always that fine line. Um, but I, I always think I, I agree with the, the grass and always greener. Um, you really got to look into what system fits you and your style and, you know, if you're going to be the featured guy on a team, why would you go somewhere to be a, um, you know, six man or just play some average minutes? And um, I think that you know, there's been a couple studies done on it. You know, I think there were a year or two ago there were only two transfers that averaged double figures at the mid-major level, and then transferred up a level and average average double figures at that next level. You know, 
And so that's always interesting to see is, okay, all these guys are transferring, but, but how many of them are actually having success when they do transfer? Um, and so you got to be careful where you necessarily, not necessarily just where you go, but uh, who you go play for in the systems. And then the, the thing I think is, is really the best um, idea for, for guys not to, to transfer is you see the success of some of the guys that are coming from mid-majors in the N- NBA. You know, you got your Dame Lillards and uh, Steph Currys and all those kind of guys that have, that have had a lot of success in the NBA. John Morant, you know, um, making the jump from a mid-major to to the NBA and, and have had a lot of success with it. So nowadays with, with synergy and the video and editing, like if you're good enough, these NBA guys will find you. Well, and, and, so. and that's what I was going to, you know, basically follow up with that is, you know, with you know, it being 2020, there is so much technology out there these days that whether you're at a small division one school, a mid-major D one school, you know, you can go on Twitter and find a highlight from, from some guy at a small school. And next thing you know, it's got about 400 retweets and it's all over the country. So, I mean, if you're good, they're going to find you, like you said. Yeah, and there's a, there's a program called Synergy that's out right now. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but it's basically a database where pretty much every game goes into this database, and, and people, uh, NBA guys have access to it, a bunch of college coaches have access to it, but you can basically pull up every clip from a kid's year, you know, and, and see exactly what he does. You can pull up um, jump shots going to his left, jump shots going wow. to his right, catching threes, you know, you can just pull up a bunch of different scenarios and kind of evaluate them. And, and I know, I think the OVC is very similar to the Missouri Valley that all of our games are broadcasted on ESPN or ESPN three. Right. Yep. So all those, those games get logged right into the database and, and all those scouts have access to it. So if you have the numbers and, and you have some success, um, they can, they can definitely go find you pretty easy. So question we have for all of our guests, uh, to kind of wrap this up here. When you're on the road in the MVC, or maybe even when you're in uh, St. Louis for Arch Madness, do you have a favorite place to eat, and what are you going to order there? Oh man, I'm kind of a sucker for St. Louis. You know, when I come through, <laughs> I always got to get an Evo's. But uh, okay, okay. But we we always had a tradition. Uh, we we like to eat somewhere on the hill uh, okay. in St. Louis when we come for the for the tournament, and just get some some nice. Italian dinner and get the guys fed really well. Um, but I, I don't know if I have one particular place. I, I, there's a couple barbecue spots in St. Louis I always uh, sneak off to. And then obviously the emos and, and some of those those staples of, of St. Louis. So, you know, being from Mexico, I came through St. Louis a lot. So I kind of got connected with all that. But now, obviously, we have Loyola, Chicago uh, in our conference now. So there's always some good places to eat up in Chicago as well. So. So with you, you know, basically being in the Bloomington, Peoria area, is there one spot up there that you find yourself going to more times than not? I've been actually been trying to find a couple uh, local spots. Uh, they've kind of got a couple farm-to-table places up here. Uh, Epiphany Farms is a pretty good one. Um, more just clean eating. I try to eat a little bit healthy, but then, you know, I also have Portillo's right down the road too. So <laughs> it's, it's kind of... <laughs> I got I got somebody on each shoulder pulling me in different directions, you know. Um, 
but but Epiphany Farms is a really good one. Um, and then we have a couple of the places that that really look out for the program that 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 I try to support as well. Okay. Well, I tell you what, uh, Coach Belcher, uh, it's great having you on. Uh, you've had a lot of success in the Missouri Valley, and you know if if your goal is to you know be a head coach at some point, hope it works out for you, and you do end up uh, getting that opportunity. I appreciate you guys having me on. If I can ever do anything for you guys, please don't hesitate to reach out. I really appreciate it, Coach. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you. And just want to give a special thanks to uh, Coach Belcher for taking time to join the show. I know for you, TJ, you follow in the Missouri Valley you know, a little bit more closely than what I do. Um, but as for as long as he's been in the Missouri Valley, I mean, he's got a lot of knowledge for different programs throughout the conference and just in general with the Missouri Valley. Yeah. You know, I thought uh, it was good insight that, you know, he kind of gave us being an assistant, that coach, sometimes you wonder if guys just, you know, are find that, that role more satisfying than they think a head coaching job might be, but he's definitely on the lookout for a head coaching job. And it sounds like he's, you know, not just any head coaching job, like he wants to find the right one, a place where he can be successful and, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said about that, you know, being in the coaching business, as long as I have, and you're in it now on, on the baseball side, there's always that adage, like, don't take a job just because it's a, a head coaching job, you know, and it sounds like he's kind of playing, like you're not playing. That's not where I want, I would, keeping that in mind, you know? Sure. Well, and I will say, you know, as he is looking for that right spot, um, he is a, he's a guy that has had some great mentors and that's only going to help right. him, you know, obviously as an assistant coach, but he's going to take what he was you know, mentored by, by some great coaches, you know, take that with him whenever he gets that, you know, head coaching gig. Right. Right. I also thought it was interesting when you talked about, you know, well, Mexico, Missouri's had so many players come out of there. Well, three of them were in your family coach. <laughs> your brother plays with Tyron Lou. You play at SIU and then your baby brother plays at, uh, Simo, or his younger brother plays at Simo and then transfers to SIU Edwardsville. That's three Division One basketball players in one family. Yeah, that's a that's a heck of a family tree they got going there. Yeah, I mean, there's schools that go, you know, 20 years without having three Division One basketball players, much less one family. No kidding. But so, and I thought too it was kind of interesting to hear a story about going to Moberly, just going to be a backup. You know, we haven't you know had the chance to talk to anyone that. I'd gone the junior college route, which, you know, I wasn't an athlete, but junior college was vital to my success academically. And I've always been a big proponent of the community college system, you know, because you never know who's going to end up there for any variety of reasons. Oh, sure. And, you know, myself, I mean, I obviously, I mean, I wasn't the greatest in school, you know, high school. Yeah, I, I did what I had to do to get, you know, good grades and stuff, but uh, I, th- I think going the junior college route first was a lot easier for me to get, you know, acclimated to the right. college, you know, courses. Right. I, I was the same way. It allowed me to mature and get my feet under me, figure out what I need to do academically. And, you know, still kept the small class sizes that you, you worry about going to a big boy year school. For sure. But, uh, with that, uh, you know, that'll, basically wrap up the uh episode so we had coach belcher uh, this week and then i know we've been in contact with uh coach harper from jacksonville state so hopefully we'll be able to get him on uh 
you know, in the near future and, you know, been reaching out to some other uh, possible interview candidates. So I think we got some good, good uh, interview uh, possibilities here lined up for the future. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. But with that, uh, you got any final thoughts, TJ? You know, just hoping uh, that the colleges are, you know, they're going to allow schools to start practicing eight hours a week as a team here. They're thinking uh, that may happen at the end of the month here, but right now they're limited to four hours, and that's just hopefully a positive sign that we keep rolling towards, you know, a, a true basketball season or as close as we can get to it. So getting excited about that. I know on my end, uh, you know, obviously I'm excited too, but I do want to take a minute to, uh, you know, kind of get your thoughts on a different topic here. We have uh, the NFL season coming up, and, you know, it's a big time or big time period right now for fantasy football drafts. And are you doing fantasy football this year? Yeah, we got a fantasy football uh, league that me and my buddies have uh, been in for. I mean, we started out with like five teams feels like 10 or 12 years ago and we have probably the coolest trophy i've ever seen i mean it's probably right up there with you know the stanley cup and uh <laughs> the, the borg warner which they get to the indy 500 winner and then, it, then it's our fantasy league trophy so but it's, it's pretty low-key and uh you know it's been fun my my oldest son is in it and several guys that i you know have met along the way so they're all guys that i'm kind of connected to in one way or another so it's been a, a lot of fun. So, but I'm just in one. That's usually enough for me. And I'm in a, a pick'em league as well. So, how about you? How many leagues are you in? <laughs> well, this year I'm just in two, and I'm kind of glad because uh, last year uh, I was in six. Oh gosh! And that was way too many because you know what I was doing. I was trying to make my lineup different in every league, and then. So while I'm doing that, I'm rooting against somebody in one league that I have starting in another league. And you know what? It just it was a big headache and I ended up being terrible in all in five of the six because I tried to do too many different things and it just failed. And was it is it like Mike and Mike when they talked about the bracket? Was it the bracket of integrity? Like you should only have one bracket for the NCAA tournament. Yes. Because you'd be like, Oh oh yeah. I I picked uh, UMBC to win that game. Like <laughs> Well, yeah, you have 78 brackets, and you did one where you did all straight upsets. You're bound to get one bracket. <laughs> well, that's how it was. I mean, in the one league that I did find success in, uh, I had first place in the regular season, got to the championship game, lost in the championship game, and figures that would be a league where the only person that won was first place. So <laughs> I didn't get a thing. So is, I think it's a rule. It's kind of like being in a college class that you're going to have the curb buster, you know, the the non-traditional student that sits up front and gets the A because they're reading the textbook. I think it's a rule in fantasy football that you have one guy that just makes trades to make trades. Oh, I know somebody you have one like in each that. of your leagues, don't you? Yes. And you just get that email like, oh, geez, I'm not making this trade just out of principle. Well, it's like we got this. <laughs> we got one of my buddies. He will send like five trades a week. Because he loves uh -huh. to trade, but nobody will really trade with him. And because they're like, oh, my God, did you see this trade he sent? It's just terrible. And then on his <laughs> end, he goes, I really don't think it's that bad. Yeah, I'm coming out ahead on that side of the trade. But then he literally said at one point, he said, I just really hope that somebody will accidentally click accept. And then my trade will get accepted if I send enough of them. I'm like, well, I mean, 
Yeah, I guess. He ruined his game plan by saying that, though. Yeah, I know. It's like, well, <laughs> I'll make sure not to look at these trades at certain points in time. So, yep. But yeah, other news. Yeah, my two fantasy leagues this year teams are absolutely terrible. I might as well just give in a donation because I might as well just pack <laughs> it up and look forward to next year. Yeah, but you never know. I mean, you do. Like, you get that and then feel that way, and somebody else has guys get hurt. If you're going to stay healthy, that's a huge you know, upgrade. One year, I, I've had Aaron Rodgers in my keeper league forever, and they were sitting him at the end of the year because they were getting the playoffs. So in the, the final the championship game, I had to play like Jason Campbell of the Raiders <laughs> as my quarterback <laughs> because because uh, my other guy was hurt. I don't know what the deal was. I'm like – how do how does this happen? You know, I was the best team in the league, and I get smoked in the championship. That is how it works, doesn't it? Yep. Oh, and the thing my. about fantasy league teams is nobody cares about your fantasy league team. You, we all tell everybody, "Oh, my team!" Like, yeah, nobody's listening. Oh yeah, that was like uh, <laughs> we we had we had slow pitch softball uh, last Thursday, and we went and got a bite to eat beforehand, and uh, two of the guys there. One of them said, hey, you want to hear about my fantasy team? Nobody said a word, so he told us anyway. And <laughs> and then the other guy goes, well, you want to hear who's on my five fantasy teams? And the other guy said, no, I don't want to hear it. And he goes, well, I'm going to tell you because you just told us your fantasy team and none of us even <laughs> asked for it. <laughs> oh, but yeah, that's how it is. Yep. But uh, with that, that'll wrap up episode 17 here on View of the Valleys for TJ Hoover. I am Chris Smith. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to tune in next week as we roll on with episode 18. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple and give us a follow on Twitter at ViewValleysPod. Enjoy the rest of your week. Have a good one, everybody.